Thank you, Asiel, Rachel, and Daniel. As we light this first Advent candle, this first Sunday of Advent, you know, this season of uh, celebration brings a lot of memories and a lot of experiences. I, our family in November does a couple of things that we're used to uh, do over the last several years. We, we go to the Texas Baptist Annual Meeting, uh, usually away from here. Then we make sure that somehow we, we watch or attend the Baylor-Texas game. And we're house divided, so uh, we're always wearing at least two colors on that day. And then we celebrate Thanksgiving as a family. Usually, some of that requires travel. And so um, uh, it's an exciting time, a time of making memories and, and spend, spending time together. In 2019, though, it was a little different. I remember we were up in Waco, and, um, and we were doing uh, and preparing for this kind of thing. And and I got a call from my mom <clears throat> that my sister was in the hospital and she was very ill. Things were moving fast and uh, palliative care was involved. And so I drove from, I left my family there. I drove from North Texas down to Corpus Christi where my sister uh, was in the hospital and, and was there uh, some time overnight. And then uh, eventually on that Friday morning, I was present in her room when, when she passed away. And so... Uh, uh, it was a difficult moment of seeing your, your baby sister pass from this life and being with your mom uh, as she grieves the loss of, of her daughter. And then driving back uh, to North Texas to be with my family and figuring out how we were going to do the following week, Thanksgiving week, how we were going to have a memorial service for my sister and a Thanksgiving gathering. And we did. We, we had a memorial service and we gathered as a family <clears throat> for Thanksgiving, and her daughters were there, my mom was there, my, my siblings were there, my, my children were there, and, and, and it was a special moment. It was, it was not a, a, you know, a very uh, festive mood, but it was a thankful mood as we gathered around the table and as we thought about God's blessings. And it made me think that it's easy to be thankful when everything is going okay. But when you're experiencing difficulty, then uh, it's a little more difficult. When you're experiencing loss and, and grief, then it's a little harder to celebrate. And, and you can ask, how, how can I celebrate? How can, it, how can I be joyful in a situation where, where there's also pain, where, where there's also grief? Today, as the first Sunday of Advent, we, we, we pause to reflect. We we pause to wait. Before we sing joy to the world, we, we wait for that long-expected Jesus. And, uh, and, and today's specific candle that was lit is the candle of hope. And I really think that that is the key to the question of how can you rejoice when things are not going well. We're concluding today a, a mini-series we did on uh, honest conversations with God from the book of Habakkuk, this, this small book in the Old Testament that we hardly ever hear about. But uh, each message has, has featured a question. The first question was, God, why do you ignore evil? The second question was, God, why do you use unbelievers to accomplish your purposes? And then today's question is, why and how can we rejoice when things don't go well? 
So I'd like to point you to our text this morning. We're going to start at the very end of the book of Habakkuk, <clears throat> Habakkuk chapter 3. And we're going to read the last passage and work our way sort of backwards this time. So go with me to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16, if you have your Bibles. If not, it'll be on the screen. And it reads like this. <clears throat> I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the height. This declaration by the prophet is a declaration that comes from hope. It comes from a place of faith springing forward. When every circumstance around the prophet was bad, he's holding on to hope. So let me share a couple of things with you today from from this last chapter of Habakkuk. The first one is, is his statement of faith. He's been having an honest conversation with God, and when his eyes saw what surrounded him, he was discouraged, he was distraught. He saw the people of God, the nation of Judah, were a divided people. They were oppressing one another. There was injustice among them, and, and, uh, and they had forsaken God's law. And as Habakkuk saw that, his, his own people, his own nation, the, the people of God, as he saw that, he, he wondered why God would allow this. How can God allow this to continue? And so he asked God the question in this conversation that he's having, why do you ignore evil? See, Habakkuk was led by, by what his eyes saw. He was distraught by the situation that surrounded him, he was crushed by his circumstances. And we do not judge Habakkuk, do we? We, we sort of relate to him. When we get that cancer diagnosis, it, it becomes challenging, doesn't it? It fills our thoughts and, and it steals our sleep. When we watch the, the bank account, the savings go down and get low, we, we begin to have anxiety when things don't go well. We might ask the same kind of questions that Habakkuk asked. Because when you're in the middle of the storm, it's difficult to see beyond the clouds. It's difficult to see beyond the darkness. And our faith struggles. Our hope wants to be shattered. Our joy is almost stolen. And so God answers Habakkuk's question. He says, look, I'm not ignoring evil. I'm very much aware of what's going on. In fact, I'm working to do something about it. You may not see it, but I'm working. I'm going to raise a nation, the Babylonians, so that they can execute judgment on Judah. Now, if that was supposed to comfort Habakkuk, it, it, it just really confused him more. Because uh, God's answer to his uh, question about justice came from a place he wasn't expecting it. How could God use a pagan nation to bring about judgment on God's covenant people? How could God use unbelievers to accomplish his purpose among those who do believe 
those who belong to God. Isn't it supposed to be the other way around? Aren't God's people supposed to be the instrument that God uses to get the, the people who are not God's people right? Delaying his justice was concerning to Habakkuk, but using unbelievers to bring about judgment was confusing. And so he asked God, how can this be? I don't understand it. And God patiently and lovingly replies to his question again. He says, although I'm going to use the wicked people to bring judgment on, on the injustice in Judah, I will bring judgment on them as well. Their temporary triumph, triumph is just that. It's temporary. I will use them for a purpose, but, but their end will be the same end that the ones they oppressed had. They, they will also be brought to judgment. And perhaps at this time, Habakkuk is, is sitting there wondering, okay, so, so Judah is going to be punished by pagans, and the pagans are going to end up in judgment. That's, that's dark. There's not a, a lot of hope there. And that's why God speaks hope to Habakkuk. If you go back with me to chapter 2, uh, verse 4, you find a, a really interesting word from God to, to Habakkuk there. Uh, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, is it, see, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. That's a good word. God says, you know, there's wicked people that I'm going to use for judgment. They're puffed up. They're full of themselves. They're, they're filled with pride. Their end is near, but, but the righteous will live by his faithfulness. The one who will be standing at the end of it all is the one who trusts in God's faithfulness. The one who will make it through the difficulties and through the judgment and through the darkness and through the storm is the one who believes, the one who trusts, the one who holds on to hope. The righteous will live by faith, by faithfulness. You see, some have come to believe that faith is about prosperity and, and, and about health, health and wealth, gospel. They say, you know, if you believe, everything is going to be okay. If you just have the right kind of faith, you, you're going to have money and you're going to have health. In fact, they will say that, that if things are going wrong in your life, that, that if someone's sick, that, that if you're not having enough finances, that it's because you don't have enough faith. And that's a lie. It's not biblical. It's not the gospel. Habakkuk, in his conversation with God, discovers how God operates. He, he, he's having an honest conversation with God and and he learns that the person who has faith does not rely on what he sees, but relies on what God has said. That it's not the person who is led by his feelings that will prevail, but the person who is led by his faith. That it's not the person who is stunted by the circumstances, but the person who is standing on the promises of God. And that's why Habakkuk can make this statement of faith. Even when the trees don't bud, even when there are no crops to speak of, even when there's no food, where there's no sheep or cattle, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. I will trust God. I will believe his word. It's a statement of faith. It's a choice of hope. What about you? Are you overwhelmed by your circumstances? 
Are you choosing despair? Or are you choosing hope? Are you relying on what you're seeing? Or are you relying on what he has said? That leads me to the second thing in this message. It's the story of his fame. Habakkuk declared this faith at the end of a dialogue with God, but he didn't arrive there overnight. There was a development of faith. There was a change of perspective that was gradual in that conversation. And, in, and as part of that, God allowed Habakkuk to remember the story of his fame. When the world seems crazy around us, we would do well to remember that this is not the first crisis that God has seen. When things don't go well in our current situation, when things don't make sense, we, we would do well to, to remind ourselves that, that this is not the first generation that God deals with. God allowed Habakkuk to see the story of his fame. And, and Habakkuk retells it perhaps for his own purpose. And it's found in chapter 3, verse 3. And he reads like this, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumble and the age-old hills collapse. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lighting of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth and in anger, you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard, and my heart pounded. This God in whom Habakkuk is placing his hope is the God of creation. The God who made everything. Every single created thing is subject to his word. Every single created thing brings glory to him. And, and Habakkuk is aware of that. He, he is remembering who God is, what God has done, not only in creation, but in redemption. That this is the God who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. When, when the Hebrews were suffering the oppression of Pharaoh and they cried out to God and God heard their cry and, and, and when Pharaoh's resolve became stronger and they suffered more, when things got worse before they got better, God showed up and God brought about his power to bear on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. 
the, the Nile turning to blood and, and the land was filled with frogs and gnats and hell came down from heaven and the cattle had diseases to show Pharaoh who, who thought he was a God that there is a living God who is more powerful than him. God brought the people of God with a mighty arm out of Egypt to show Pharaoh his power. Habakkuk could place his faith in a God who defeated Pharaoh. Habakkuk could place his hope in a God who can liberate an entire nation from the most powerful kingdom in the world. And as the people of God headed from Egypt, as, as their hearts were filled with, with joy and, and hope to the promised land, Pharaoh changed his mind again and, and he sent the Egyptian army to pursue them. And suddenly this this formerly and recently delivered group of slaves found themselves between the sea and the Egyptian army. But God did not forget them. God did not forsake them. God did not bring them that far to leave them alone. He showed up just in the nick of time. He opened the sea so that the people of God could, could cross on dry land. And they walked and they looked at the sea walls and they remember the kind of God that had delivered them. And, and, and as soon as they crossed over to the other side, the Egyptian army began to cross as well. And they looked back and God brought the waters back and the Egyptian army perished there in the sea. And every step of the way, God was with them in the wilderness. As they journeyed to the promised land, he, he provided a column, a cloud by day and a column of fire by night. He gave them bread from heaven and, and water from a rock over and over again, showing his supernatural power, his faithfulness to the people of God. The God in whom Habakkuk could place his hope is the God who delivers his people, the God who redeems his people, the God who leads his people to the promised land. That's why Habakkuk could put his hope in God, even when things were not going well. We had a couple of memorial services this week and one of the songs that we sing at funerals is Amazing Grace, beautiful song. We, we shouldn't just sing it at funerals, although it's proper to do it there. There's a verse that we don't always sing, but, 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 I, but I am reminded of it today. It says, though many, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Disgrace that brought me saved thus far, and grace will lead me home. It is the grace that has been real in the past that will leave me in the future. The God in whom Habakkuk could place his hope is the one who opens oceans and gives bread from heaven. I like that other song. I like the songs we sang today. They were just right on point. There's another song called Graves into Gardens, where it says, you turn, you turn mourning to dancing, you give beauty for ashes, you turn shame into glory, you're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens, you turn bones into armies, you turn seas into highways, you're the only one who can. While Judah could look back on the Exodus to remember God's power to redeem them, as they found themselves oppressed and divided 
and, and surrounded by violence and injustice that could remember that God had delivered his people in the past. And we, we can get our perspective when we look back at the cross. When we were slaves to sin, when we were captive to, to our own sinful nature, God came down to rescue us. When death was our destiny, Jesus died for us. When we could not save ourselves, Jesus went to the cross to save us. He bore our sin, he bore our shame, he bore our grief, he bore our guilt. He carried it on himself, he suffered and he died and he was buried in a cold tomb because he loved us, because he redeems, because he's faithful, because God lo God's love rescues. But on the third day, he rose again in power and glory. On the third day, he demonstrated that he's Lord and King over sin and death. And that's the God in whom we can place our hope. Habakkuk's present circumstances needed to be shaped by the Exodus event. And our current situation needs to be shaped by the Christ event. Whenever we have a question about what God is doing, whenever we have a question about God's faithfulness or about God's love or about God's promises, we look back at the cross. When we see what God did at the cross, there should be no room for doubt of his love for you, of his faithfulness, of his ability to rescue and to redeem. So when things are not going well, take time to reflect the story of his fame. Remember the cross. Remember the empty tomb. Remember the day he saved you. Remember the day that you believed and he forgave your sins. Remember the day that you surrendered your life and, and he changed you from the inside out. Remember the day when, when you were hopeless and he came into your life and he brought hope and joy and peace unspeakable. Remember when he answered your prayer. Remember when he healed you. Remember when, when he answered miraculously. Remember his fame. When Habakkuk remember the fame of God, he was filled with awe. He was physically overtaken. That's what verse 16 is about. And it leads to a supplication for the future. The story of God's fame in the past and the statement of Habakkuk's faith in the present allow him to make a supplication for the future. We find it in verse 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. That's the prayer that Habakkuk lives to God. Essentially, he's, he's saying, do it again, Lord. The way that you redeemed in the past, do it in the near future. Show your power and your deliverance in our generation. 
If you need me to wait, I will wait. If you're you're not going to answer me right now, I can wait. But show up so that I can see it. Do it again. It's not a prayer anymore of why. It's a prayer, a statement of how. God is just. God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is good. God redeems. God is powerful. God has been consistent in his redemptive purposes throughout history. That's how. That's how he will rescue us. That's how he will redeem us. Habakkuk is saying, my my very present circumstances at the moment are not good, but I have faith that you will show up on our day. That weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That even when my physical eyes see the demise and the apparent defeat of your people, the eyes of faith, my heart has faith that we will see redemption, that we will see victory. When we remember God's sovereignty and his faithfulness, we can rejoice in hope regardless of the circumstances. When you believe that God is a loving God, a redeeming God, you can rely on his promises. You can have hope. One of the Advent hymns of the church expresses this from the perspective of the people of Israel before the Messiah came. It says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Notice how these people in exile who are, who are suffering, who are away from their homeland, who, who have so much that they could be sad about, are called to rejoice. They're not called to rejoice because of their affliction. They're not called to rejoice because of, the, of their exile or, or, or their persecution. They, they're called to rejoice in the hope that God will come again, that the Messiah will come. That week that I told you about in 2019 when I had to make that trip to Corpus Christi and be with my sister as she passed away, as I went back to be with my family that Friday, I drove back and was thinking and praying and reflecting. That very night when we were together as a family in Fort Worth, my daughter Rachel and my son-in-law Hasiel shared with the family that they were expecting a baby. And in the midst of grief, there was this ray of hope, the sense that one day we will experience joy. And two and a half years later, Daniel helped light the candle of hope. Advent helps us identify with the waiting of God's people for a Messiah. But for us as Christians, it's also about the waiting for his second coming. A baby brings a lot of joy. And that was the story of the first Christmas. But the second coming of Christ will not consist of a baby. 
it will consist of a conquering king. That's our hope. And we look forward to that. Our world is broken. Our situation may be desperate, but we rejoice in the hope of his coming. Habakkuk chose to rejoice even when the fig tree did not bud or there were no grapes on the vine, even when the olive crop failed and where there was no food in the field, where there were no cattle or sheep in the stalls. It's not about denial. It's not about some kind of twisted sense of what is good. It's not about indifference. It is faith and hope at its best. It is knowing that there's something beyond what we see, beyond our immediate circumstances. And you and I can express that hope. You and I can, can write a poem like, like Habakkuk's poem. You and I can say, though inflation is out of control and the gas prices are unreal, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even when my retirement account is decreasing and the stock market is out of control, I will rejoice that my friends cancel me because of my views and convictions and social media be filled with, with hate and vitriol, I will rejoice in the Lord. Even when I am unemployed or I have been passed over for that promotion, I will trust in the God of hope. Even when the unjust war in Ukraine continues and world leaders don't seem to know what to do, I will rejoice in the hope that God gives me, though our country be divided and it seems to have lost its moral bearings, I will rejoice. Even when some churches have ignored the scriptures and, and have gone astray and, and some are spiritually dead, I will rejoice. He will come again. He will show up again. He will do it again. He is faithful. He keeps his promises and I will rejoice in him. My faith is placed not on the hope of the headlines, but my hope is based not on circumstances, but on the certainty of his character. On January 27, 2018, the discipleship pastor of Lakeside Baptist Church in Granbury, Texas, 57-year-old man, had decided to take cycling up because his meniscus had been torn and didn't allow him to run as he used to do. And on this cool and windy morning as he was riding his bike, he, he uh, came upon a, a bump on, on the road left there by people who had repaired the road and had left a, a little hill of asphalt. And as his bike collapsed with that bump, uh, he flipped over his bike and fell. He'd had bike accidents before, but but this one was different. He was in a lot of pain and he couldn't get up. His hip was hurting and so his wife Janet came and helped him up and they called the ambulance and took him to the hospital. They discovered that he had four fractures on his hip. And as they were examining him, they were suggesting that he would have a, a brain scan and he didn't want to have it. He didn't think it was necessary. It was only his hip that was hurting. But when you're arguing about not having certain tests done, usually your wife and the doctors win that argument. So they had the scan done and they found that there was a, a mass in front of his head and they thought maybe it's the impact and he's bleeding. And so they did more tests and, and when they came back, they discovered that it was a tumor. 
It was a malignant tumor. For the next 103 days, he, he struggled to be on a walker after his hip surgery, waiting to, to be restored so that he could have brain surgery. In the middle of all that, he, he told people that he was thankful that he had the accident because that way he discovered the tumor that he wasn't aware of. He had uh, the surgery to remove the tumor and he underwent radiation. And after some time with the checkups, they discovered that the cancer came back on his chest and then on his ribs. And, and eventually uh, they determined that he had some kind of rare disease and they began to do uh, bone marrow transplants and stem cell uh, treatment. And after all of that, he is cancer-free today. Last year, he was not able to be with his family for Thanksgiving because of, um, of his immunity. But this year, he traveled to Arkansas to be with them, tan flipping. Thanks, God, for a bike accident that was very painful. Because in the midst of that, he discovered something else and allowed him to get the treatment. He chose gratitude and joy in the midst of his circumstances because of the God in whom he could hope, a sovereign, faithful, and loving God. And you can do the same thing today. Habakkuk did not arrive at his place of hope overnight. It was a conversation, a dialogue with God. It was a prayer life where he spoke honestly and he heard God. And in that process, his faith grew deeper, beyond the superficial, beyond the transactional nature of prayer and this intimate relationship with a God who is loving and who is always at work and he wants to show us who he is. And my invitation to you today is, will you trust him? Will you trust him as Savior and Lord for the first time in your life? Will you trust him to forgive you and to give you hope? He's the only one who can. And today you can... Bring your life to him and say, it's a mess. I don't understand it. I'm confused. I'm tired. But I give it to you and I need hope. I receive that gift of hope today. Maybe today what you need to say is, I'm going to choose to rejoice in the midst of difficult circumstances. I'm going to choose to trust that God can do it again. Or maybe your commitment today is, I'm going to pray I'm going to make my prayer life like a Bacchus prayer life, a deeper prayer life that develops a faith that can withstand the worst of circumstances and can say, even when everything is going wrong, I will rejoice in God my Savior.